has any Democratic senator on this committee been down to see the Biden cages? I will once again disagree with your use of terminology. These facilities, has any Democratic member of this committee given a damn enough to see the children being locked up by Joe Biden and Kamala Harris because of your failed immigration policies? Uh, Senator, I cannot speak to... um the members of this committee. You don't know if any Democrats have been down there? Republicans seek to take control of the House of Representatives. Republicans are going to retake both the House and Senate. A liberal MSNBC host warning Democrats about the potential for a red wave. Do we have any sort of canary in the coal mine type indications of where we may be headed on that front? Fox News is calling the Virginia governor's race for Republican Glenn Youngkin. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children, this the last... hey Welcome to another Ruthless Variety program, another special edition. I feel like we're really putting our backs into this, fellas. I know. Three? I mean, three again. If we have enough content, might as well roll with it. It's what the people are asking for. It is what the people are asking for, and we are... We aim to deliver. We aim to deliver. That was uh, Senator Ted Cruz grilling Secretary Mayorkas about the very obvious border crisis that we have going on that... Seemingly, nobody in the Democratic Party has any idea exists. I mean, Ted Cruz just completely owned him. I mean, my favorite part is like shortly after that exchange, you know, with Mayorkas being like, you know, I I, I don't agree with your characterization of these as Biden cages. Like, <laughs> Cruz Cruz just holds up a giant picture of the cages, and he's like, oh, these are these the cages that you're looking for? It, it's really funny how after election day they go from being cages to child containment units. It's right. Like, oh, oh, it's for their safety. Yeah. I mean, a, remember, they're the ones. Th- they are the ones that invented bingo the term cages. Bingo. It's that, so fun to just and Obama them built them. Trap. Yeah, he did. I mean, it's Obama incredible. built them. So. Look, we like in the variety program to get into the issues that the national media are not talking about. We, we highlight things that are happening in committees that you ought to know about. Immigration is one of those things that we're going to get into in a minute. But I first want to make note, we have a guest today. And the guest is an old friend. Uh, his name is Dee Duncan. He's the president of the Republican State Leadership Committee. And for those of you who don't know what that is, this is the outfit that dedicates all its time and resources to recruiting candidates, funding candidates, training candidates at local and state levels, which is very, very important. They do, you know, that's key work because you want to you want to get our folks there on the state level. They can do a huge difference. You know, you totally. what our governors have done when we took uh, state legislatures. They, they they play very key role in, in, in drawing maps, everything, everything. They're very key in it. Yeah. I, I am not related to this this D. Duncan, <laughs> however, just in case anyone was wondering. No, although he reminds me a little bit. We, I had, you know, a 15-minute chat with him. He was busting my balls the whole time. Oh, yeah? Yeah. So, so maybe in the family tree somewhere. Maybe, might be in the family tree somewhere. Anyway, I think you're going to enjoy it. Um, should we get right into immigration? Let's do it. Absolutely. So, uh, you know, the background is we just covered Mayorkas was before the Senate yesterday and got himself, uh, his ass handed to him by Ted Cruz and others. But, but really the underlying issue here is a stat that came out in October where illegal immigrant apprehension surged to 128% from the same time last year. And, this is another thing to consider when you hear these statistics. <clears throat> it says that uh, uh, CBP data shows 164,303 migrant encounters along the southern border in October. Now, you have to realize that's just encounters. How many got 
through without even being encountered. Yeah. You know, this is just like a, 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 a stat that shows you a fraction of the problem. And the fact that that fraction is up 128% from the same time last year, this is beyond a crisis. It's unbelievable what's going on at the border. And, 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 and uh, uh, on, on top of that, uh, word came out today, that whole like whip gate when, when, when Democrats and jur- other journalists said, yeah, the border like, patrol with the with the reins yeah, on yeah. horseback were using whips, which was a lie. Yeah, it turns out uh, it wasn't. And they didn't even deem it worthy of investigation. So outstanding huh. work media. So is, is, is the Biden administration going to reverse the new policy that says they're not allowed to be on horseback? Yeah, I mean, it, it's didn't almost, hear about that. It, yeah, weird. It, it's almost like uh, having uh, folks on the ground on horseback able to monitor and try to control the situation would be a good idea. But. Again, this shows how they're controlled by the media. It's all just like a monolith. What's the Dems in the media, they're like, oh, we can we can push a narrative that that uh, you know trying to have a secure border is somehow racist. What's what's so funny, Smug, um, is you know the reason why Biden was successful in that Democratic primary is they basically ignored the media and they ignored Twitter, right? right. And they keep their head down and they were like, we're going to be the last man standing here. And now that they're actually governing, it seems like everything that they do is based on <laughs> based on, on Twitter. I mean, and like Ron, Klain, Ron Klain's prime, prime right. example, <laughs> right. Ron Klain, RTs and uh, and fake horse whips. But, but think about the idiocy of this, of setting government policy, not only just on a Twitter rumor right. about whether somebody was whipping or not whipping, but taking away tools at a time of absolute crisis, taking away tools from border security agents who are attempting putting their own lives in danger, attempting right. to keep this country safe. Like, can you imagine? It's I'm, demoralizing. It's awful to do this to those people because that's not an easy job. It's a tough, tough job. And you don't know what you're going to see out there. You know, I've seen some of the video footage where they can have like cartel members running folks up and you put your life at risk doing this job and then your own government turns on you like this. It's right, cause awful. Right, because I mean, it's not, it's not just people, you know, crossing the border for asylum. It's, you know, human trafficking. It's drugs. Yep. It's a dangerous, dangerous job, and apprehensions going up means there's probably more drugs crossing the border. That's you know? exactly right. And so, I mean, like, it's dangerous. And, like, you know, the Democrats will say they think it's a real gotcha to be like, well, apprehensions are up because we're doing a good job. That <laughs> means that means we're doing a good job. But it's like you sent Kamala Harris to Guatemala and, you know, um, Central America to, to say, you know, don't come to the border. You won't be let in. Yeah. Well, it doesn't seem like they're following your advice. Yeah, well— it doesn't work because you spent a year telling everyone who will listen that, that you'll decriminalize than, it and you're more than welcome. Right. <laughs> right. At the same time, by the way, that there is an effort underway between House Democrats and Senate Democrats to try to provide benefits for illegal immigrants. It's right. Insane. At the same time, the administration itself is telling people that if you were a victim of family separation, as they call it during the Trump years, never mind the fact they're doing the same thing. That they were pay these people four hundred plus thousand dollars. It's like you broke the law, so have some money. What? That's an incredible <laughs> message. If it, if the original message of every Dem on on their primary stage raising their hands for like, will you like offer health care and benefits to anyone who enters our country illegally? They're all like, oh yes, absolutely. That message was received, which is why we're seeing this surge. Yeah, why and now are they're all like, these wait people? a minute, 450K checks on top of that? Like, what? Why are all these people coming? We've only promised $450,000 free healthcare, yeah. housing, and everything else. It's, and, and to Duncan's point about how, how, how much, you know, beyond just uh, 
crossing the border illegally, how much crime is occurring there. Uh, Governor Abbott yesterday tweeted out the statistic that the Texas National Guard and Texas Department of Public Safety have seized enough fentanyl to kill everyone in Texas, California, and New York. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Yeah, just in case you think this doesn't affect your own community because you are not a border state. Yep. I mean, we've heard from multiple senators on this program about how the derivative of the drug problem that they have in their state stems from the border crisis. And uh, a couple more quick statistics uh, right here. So in the Rio Grande Valley, the epicenter of these illegal crossings, um, they had 40, over 45,000 migrants encountered during the month of October. In fiscal year 2022, the Rio Grande Valley saw more than 65,000 uh, migrant counters to date, 161% increase over the same period last year. In the nearby Del Rio sector, there's been a 236% increase in encounters. So the message that went out from all the Dems that, hey, you know, come on over, it's an open border, was very clearly received, and that's why we're seeing these numbers. So the question goes, and how how does this administration see itself, right? Do they think they're doing a good job? Because up to this point, there's absolutely no evidence to suggest that they even recognize the problem. So the question was asked of Mayorkas himself. How does Do he create Do you believe uh, that the Biden immigration policies are successful? Uh, Senator, I, uh, I think rebuilding a broken immigration system and rebuilding a dismantled one takes time and we're on the road to success. So you think we're on the right track as a nation? I do. Okay. How would you grade yourself? Uh, Senator, um, I'm a tough grader on myself, and I give myself um, an A for effort. (laughs) (laughs) An A for effort. He's like, you know what? It it took a lot of effort to break all the records we've ever had for the number of people illegally entering the country, and and it took a lot of effort, so I give myself an A. Well, usually when you give somebody an A for effort, it's because they they tried, but they failed yeah. dramatically. I think that's what he's saying, right? right? Without saying it. Right. And it's for like, him to be like, we're coming from a situation where we had a completely broken immigration system. Uh, I'm sorry. Like, even you'd, you'd read article after article where they speak to migrants attempting to enter the country. They were like, oh, Donald Trump's over there. There's no chance. You know, don't go. You know, no one's going to get through. Now, it's like, everyone go. This is the time. So for him to be like, oh, we had a, a broken system. T- tell me it's a broken system when these numbers are up 200%. A for effort, though, pal. Well, so, so Mayorkas, um, you know, in the Biden administration have this, you know, new policy where they, you know, let, you know, these migrants go into the United States. Yeah. And then they're going to come back for their, for their court date. Yeah. Right. Where it's just as the honor system. <laughs> it's not working the honor system. It's the honor system because when you travel Three thousand miles on foot, right? Scale a wall and swim the Rio Grande, right? Uh, you'd like to show up on time right. for the court. Here. <laughs> you are just itching for that court case. Yeah, to let start. me follow law and order yeah. here. <laughs> Do we have audio of that? We are communicating with individuals most effectively because sometimes it is not an intent to abscond, but a misunderstanding of the requirements in a very labyrinthian immigration system. The other thing that we've got is. Uh, a China segment. Yeah, I'm always happy to have these. And there's there's a lot to talk about. As I'm sure most people have heard, there was a, you know, a quote summit over Zoom between President Biden and China's leader, Xi Jinping. And uh, it, what's interesting here is, is I want to quickly compare uh, how the reporting was done. So the New York Times, we're off the bat, uh, 
about the summit itself, I, I, I want to get into that. It happened at 9 a.m. Beijing time, right? So already the advantage goes to Xi. He's like, you know, I want you up at midnight, Joe Biden, which I know how tough that must be for you. Uh, if you want to speak to me, it's happening, you know, during my working hours. And uh, this further shows, you know, Biden's willing to fly to London to talk about climate change. But this is this is a very big deal meeting. And, okay, he's going to let them completely control the terms of engagement. And they've, and they've done this throughout. Yeah. Right? yeah. Remember they know they, they had that Alaska event. summit that they had some months back? There was a, there's all kinds of, of, of problems with the posture that this administration has had that just projects unbelievable weakness. And, and so things did not go well in terms of for America. Um, this, you know, you already see some of the media trying to say, oh, this was just a regular phone call. No, Biden's team themselves, they build this as a summit that all of his high-ranking cabinet secretaries there and from the NYT article, it says, although the two leaders have spoken by telephone twice this year, the conference was intended to replicate the more uh, thorough discussion of issues of previous summits between the United States and China, something that was not possible because health and political concerns have kept Mr. Xi from traveling since January 2020. So not only was the time meant to accommodate you know, Xi, but the format itself, everything, all the terms were dictated by China and Biden had to you know, do essentially as, as she told him. And this is a key part. I saw this from uh, Hugh Hewitt when he was citing the New York Times article. That's pretty clear Joe Biden got rolled by Xi on Taiwan. Quote, it was unclear whether President Biden and Mr. Xi directly discussed the question of how the United States would respond militarily should uh, Beijing attack Taiwan. So so she threatened Taiwan and Biden said absolutely nothing. This, this is the thing is uh, more from Hugh Hewitt. It said she, according to China's central broadcaster, offered assurances that China, which has pled uh, pledged to unify Taiwan with China by force, if necessary, would do its utmost to achieve peaceful reunification, right? Um, and again, Biden did not tell Xi that force would be met with force. Th- but this is what's really the infuriating part. So what was left out of the New York Times coverage? A lot. And thankfully, you know, the Wall Street Journal had it. It said, uh, how China covered the talks. During the virtual meeting, the Chinese leader said the new round of rising tensions in the Taiwan Strait were, quote, due to island authorities who he said were attempting to rely on the U.S. to seek independence, according to a readout by China's official Xinhua News Agency. We have the patience and are willing to strive for the prospect of peaceful reunification, Xinhua quoted Mr. Xi as saying. But if the separatist forces of Taiwan independence continue to provoke and cross the red line, we will have no choice but to take drastic measures. Okay. I wonder why that was left. <laughs> Isn't out. China like flying, you know, like fighter jets over Taiwan? Well, yep. Like, are they, are they not provoking all of this? That's that's exactly right. Right. And, and uh, uh, less than eight hours after the Biden Xi meeting, China sends eight warplanes into Taiwan's air identification zone, which tells you exactly what they thought of the meeting. They're like, "Wow, we knew this guy was soft. And now we a hundred percent know that he is." And uh, I also wait. So 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 right after this meeting, they go ahead and they start flying fighter jets. Over right Taiwan. after, I mean, yeah. like how it tells clear you is everything it? you need to know about how they view the strength of the United States under Joe Biden. I mean, that is just dramatic. What they'd have to be idiots to see it any other way. Yeah. Right. We just begged the Taliban to secure the exit of Americans out of Afghanistan. I think I mean, that what? was such a huge moment globally for how other countries perceive us. I totally agree. That the way that Biden completely bungled it, it was absolutely shameful. And other countries saw weakness. You know, it's like when you create a vacuum, nature abhors a vacuum and they fill it. And that's exactly what happens is, you know, they saw, oh, 
The U.S. is no longer leading. The U.S. can't be trusted as a partner. They can't be trusted as an ally. Let's roll these guys. And now he's got, you know, his war, she's got his warplanes flying over Taiwan. It's not a surprise at all, to be honest, in, in no way. I mean, in part, it's the Afghanistan thing. In part, it's economic concerns. You know, you have China, which has spent decades trying to seek a technological advantage over the United States. Mm-hmm. And the United States responds by trying to break up our tech companies. Yeah. You know what I mean? They like, steal our intellectual property. And, they release and, a virus on the world. You know, yeah. And we're like, you know what? Actually... We should make Tencent more powerful and TikTok more powerful. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and that's that's such a great point um, to go off on a little bit of a tangent. So the importance of Taiwan cannot be stressed enough. You know, a lot's being talked about how there's a semiconductor shortage, how like, you know, you can't even get new cars because new cars can't be produced because the chips that need to go in the cars aren't available because they're all made in Taiwan and there's a shortage. And the largest semiconductor uh, producer in the world, TSMC, is in Taiwan um, China knows all this. Yeah. China knows all this, knows the strategic importance of all this. And it's why they're like, oh, this is the perfect time. Let's roll Biden. He, he's so soft. He doesn't know what's going on. He lets us th- like each little bit that they try. They're like, OK, we demand it be on our terms. We demand you do it during our working hours. And that Biden's like, oh, fine, fine. Totally. That's cool. That's fine, Mr. Xi. You like, know. meanwhile, they have like this like constant economic warfare against the United States going Absolutely. on like yeah. across the globe. Absolutely. And, and, and also I would say, uh, culturally, like you see how big a deal it is that China is going to hold the winter Olympics in February. And the, the, the hard line that, uh, the Biden administration is taking towards this is they're we're considering having a diplomatic boycott where they're like, uh, president Biden will not attend the games as if like that is sends a message to anyone. <laughs> I mean, his handlers know we don't want this guy in public. It's a service to Biden to not show up. Um, that yeah, you can't. Nothing. It's a service. You're right. You're right. Because if he goes there, he starts farting, and Lord knows what happens. Exactly. <laughs> and so uh, Axios had had a had a piece today about Olympic sponsors are caught between the U.S. and China. It says companies that do business in China, especially Olympic sponsors, are concerned Beijing will use the 2022 Winter Games as a loyalty test. These companies don't give a shit. Yeah, they'll pull they'll pull out of Georgia because of an election law, but I guarantee they're going to do business over there, no problem. That's the thing. It says there are 13 top level Olympics corporate sponsors, including Coca Cola, Visa, Airbnb, and Intel, which together are projected to have paid hundreds of millions of dollars to sponsor the 2022 Beijing Olympics. Journalists, rights groups, and politicians have pressed the companies to speak out against China's human rights violations, especially the government's campaign of mass internment and forced labor targeting ethnic Uyghurs in Xinjiang. None of the companies have, have done so. Weird. Oh, that's so strange. Weird. It's I almost thought, like there's some weird double standard that only applies were, to Republicans in the United States. I thought they were woke and shit. Yeah. I, I mean, there's a lot to be said about, I, I at this point, seeing all this information, think it would it'd be very prudent to boycott the games. So I got to, let me push back on you on that. I um I understand it. Mm-hmm. Don't get me wrong. I understand why why one would want to do that considering what we're dealing with with China. But there's to me, I thought the best message that's ever been sent was the nineteen thirty six Olympic Games in Berlin. Of Jesse Owens. When Jesse Owens Hitler. goes there and absolutely dominates the first African American from the United States to win gold, doing it in front of this genocidal maniac and, and basically bringing all the people to their feet. Like I just that to me is like a picture of American strength. Yeah. Right? So, so for me, there there are two things about that. Is uh, at the time, at the time, in, in in 1936 when that happened, 
globally, it was seen as Hitler getting a PR victory mm. for Germany. So, so in hindsight, because yes, it like legitimized the regime, hundred percent legitimized right. it. So that's what he was he was going for. Um, and 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 there's a quote I'm trying to uh, remember how it went, but Jesse Owens essentially said because FDR was president at the time, he said, um, "I didn't even get a call from FDR. I didn't get anything. Is uh, I was less noticed by FDR than I was by Hitler in Germany." Mm. So, yeah. Well, I think is, history. Is in hindsight, if 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 the U.S. had boycotted that, you know, we would have been able to be in a position to say, "Listen, we saw the Nazis were running this, and we wanted nothing to do with it." They turned out to be genocidal maniacs, and we were very happy we had nothing to do with that. I think we're seeing a repeat situation where these people by square footage have used more land to create their concentration camps. As reported by multiple outlets, the Pulitzer Prize last year went to a group who reported on the Uyghur uh, concentration camps in China. Their square footage is larger than the square footage that was used by Germany throughout their concentration camps. So the scale of it is mind But maybe maybe it'll be like in Rocky. Was it Rocky (laughs) 3 or Drago? I think it was 4. 4, yeah. 4. Three was Mr. T. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Uh, four with Drago, where you know they're they're in the ring, and then suddenly all these Soviets start cheering for Rocky. They turn it around. They turn it around. Yeah, yeah. you know that we're going to be in this Olympics, and they're going to start cheering for the American athletes. But let me bring one more other parallel to you because you know we we obviously boycotted the 1980 Summer Games, mm-hmm. right? In Moscow ones, right? In Moscow because of their invasion of Afghanistan. What do you think sent a better message to the world, in particular the Soviet Union at the time? Not going to that Olympic Games or kicking their ass in Lake Placid and taking the gold? <laughs> Hell yeah. Right? Hell yeah. I know I only remember one of those. I would, right? I would, I mean, I'd be for if there were some kind of a sports competition between the U.S. and China, but I really do feel when you show up and they're hosting it, it's like a feather in their camp and it legitimizes them. And the fact that they already know corporate America is going to keep their mouth shut. You think Nike's going to say anything? Well, I know Nike's not. Nike Nike is the worst of the worst, yeah. in my view. And uh, last thing, you know, along the sports uh, line when it comes to China, a tennis star who accused Chinese official of sexual assault is now missing. This is from the Free Beacon. Uh, Chinese authorities uh, censor internet references to the doubles player Peng Shuai. Uh, she accused a former Communist Party official of sexual assault and is now missing, according to the Women's Tennis Association. She has not appeared in public since November 2nd, when in a social media post, she accused, she accused former Vice Premier Zhang Gaoli of sexual assault. Mm. I mean, they can make people disappear, and they also try to disappear them from the Internet. That's just... Yeah, I mean, look, it, it goes without saying. I mean, this is this is dangerous. This is a dangerous regime. I think that the question is how you deal with this. Obviously, you deal with it the exact opposite way of the Biden administration. Trump had a much more aggressive posture. And the media hated him for it. They hated him. It's it's like the age old debate of international diplomacy is like, is the answer punishment and sanction? Or is it like being more open to a closed society in hopes that by exposing those people to our ideals, that in the long run, that's better. Yeah, freedom wins. Right, 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 right. I mean, like, what we're talking about is a debate that's happened in international diplomacy, like, forever. Yeah. I think the thing that gets me more than any of this is the fact that our government currently under the Biden administration doesn't seem to understand that they are at war. Exactly. Yeah. That's the thing that, that's the thing that drives me the most nuts, because you watch what they're trying to do, semiconductors, you just said what they're trying to do with uh, the occupation of, of spectrum across the world. Yep. 
right? What they're trying to do to oil and gas and make the world essentially relying on their infrastructure for all of the things that they know 10 to 20 years from now, the world will ultimately be entirely relying upon. Yep. We somehow don't understand that. Like we're having a full-throated conversation in the White House about censoring social media companies at the same time that China is backstopping TikTok to go look at every kid's yep. personal life, probably mapping out the faces, addendum yes. with the GAO reports that they stole from the government 10 years ago, yep. and, and, and making profiles of anybody who could be an American asset. Yeah, there was, there was a report that came out earlier in the year about how China has already formed their own like credit picture, looking at credit scores and such, for over 200 million Americans. Yeah, but just they, think they, about they're that. They're just it's collecting incredible. all of that with surveillance. And, um, you know, uh, a wise man once said that every country in the world is terrified that China will take over the planet. And China is the only country in the world terrified that it won't. Yeah. And the Biden administration says, oh, you know, we're in a competition with them. And fellas, Trump actually predicted this last year. And you mentioned Hugh Hewitt, one of the greatest radio hosts alive. Good friend of the program. Yeah. Very good friend of the program. Trump was on a interview with Hugh Hewitt and he predicted this exact thing. Do you want to hear the audio? Yeah, yeah. I'd love to. Um, Ambassador O'Brien said China wants Vice President Biden to win. Why do you think that is? Because they'll own the United States if he wins. And with me, they were having the worst year in 67 years because I tariffed the hell out of them. We took in billions and billions of dollars. I gave some of it to the farmers because they were targeted. And I put the rest in the Treasury of the United States. We've taken in tens of billions of dollars from China. And it was having a huge impact on China, negative impact on China. Yeah. I, I mean, such a great point again, and I want to go specifically on that point through the prism of the media where uh, you had all these reporters being like, oh, no, if Trump puts tariffs on Chinese goods, that means you're going to be paying more for it. And now those same publications are like, here's why inflation is good, actually. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's just partisan nonsense. Anyway, I know Smug's going to keep us up to date and updated on everything China because it's a really important story that, unfortunately, because there's not a Republican in the White House, it's no longer a problem in the mainstream media. Let us talk for a moment about something lighter. I... um. Fellas, I grew up as a absolute sycophant fan of Mike Tyson. I mean, he was the goat. Iron Mike was, I never missed a fight. You know, as, as I was young, and I still remember my dad forking over to try to pay for the, uh, for the, the pay-per-view. Mm-hmm. And, and, and there was weird, you had to, like, connect ca- oh, new oh, cables yeah. to, yeah. Get, to get, the, it was, it was. Which not, fight did you see on pay-per-view? Uh, Michael Spinks, 91 oh, seconds. Yeah. Right? Great one. So like, but him rolling out in the, in the, in the short black shorts were just the most intimidating. The towel over him was just the most intimidating. Anyway, I follow everything he does and I still do because he's like, to me, he's like one of those. Did you see that Tyson documentary a few years ago? I did. So good. I did. And and his interview on Rogan is just legendary. Totally. Well, he did. So he did a one act play by himself Yeah. where he sat, literally sat. uh, He had a, a residency in Las Vegas where it was just him and a stool and he talked through his life. And I was like, oh, boy, that can't be good. Right? <laughs> I mean, like Mike's a lot of things. But Guy's not, got some demons. Yeah. But, but anyway, I watched it. I'll be damned if he wasn't just incredibly like likable and an no interesting story. Like, he had, So there's many facets to Mike Tyson. Mm-hmm. One facet that I didn't see coming. The man licks toads to, to get high. <laughs> My God. Did you see this coming? No. 
So apparently, and I, look, I'm not totally, um, I've heard of this before, but I'm not, I'm not totally educated on this, but there is a toad that lives that if you lick the thing, it has, it excretes this like psychedelic toxin. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Right. And, and people who do it, they say it like changes their lives, their life forever. Yeah. Right. It gets rid of their ego. I feel like this Joe Rogan interview kind of rubbed off on old Tyson. Yeah. So anyway, he tried it and he died. He said this first day yeah, to bring him back. I'm looking at this right now. This is incredible. He, this is from a New York Post article. He, he said he said he died. Now, the toad is a Bufo alvarius. I don't know what that is, but it's a Mexican amphibian, otherwise known as the Sonoran Desert Toad. It spends seven months of the year living underground, but when it's active, its venom can be smoked to produce short psychedelic trips. Um so Mike's into this thing. I mean, look at the quotes from this. Yeah, he it, says, it's I brilliant. Quote, I died during my first trip. The 55-year-old <laughs> former world champion boxer told the Post. Uh, it says, in my trips, I've seen that death is beautiful. Life and death both have to be beautiful, but death has a bad rep. The toad has taught me that I'm not going to be here forever. There's an expiration date. This is awesome. <laughs> There's this, this other quote incredible. here. This other quote, I, I just, I love this because it's, it's, it Tyson. speaks it speaks to Tyson knowing himself, which yep. I absolutely love. He says, quote, I did it as a dare. <laughs> I was doing heavy drugs like cocaine, so why not? It's another dimension. <laughs> Before I did the toad, I was a wreck. The, <laughs> the toughest toad. this is and this is the best part, and this is so Tyson. The toughest opponent I ever faced was myself. I had low self esteem. People with big egos often have low self esteem. We use our ego to subsidize that. The toad strips the ego it's just beautiful it's beautiful that is incredible it's incredible i the, want a motivational poster of mike tyson where the quote the toad, says, the, the toad know, strips the ego the toad strips the ego <laughs> dude i know a lot of people who need the toad yeah well, i mean it's, it's in this like, town you know how like uh steve jobs famously was like he he used lsd and that completely changed his outlook on everything yeah, yeah. um it's sounding like toad the toad might toad, be better than Toad knows the way. So so he's now tripped 53 times. Wow. Sometimes three three times in one day. He said he's lost 100 pounds in three months. Obviously, he started boxing again. We watched that. He looked like a badass. And then he reconnected with his wife and children. The toad has saved Mike Tyson. Isn't he uh, Isn't he boxing one of those like YouTube, the YouTube guy who fights people? What's his name? Oh, is he, is Logan he, Paul, no, Well, no, Paul, he, he they tried to get that He done. did the fight with Roy Jones Jr. Yeah. That was Which the one Roy thought they were screwing around. Yeah, and, and Tyson, Tyson doesn't screw around. Tyson does not screw, screw around. Tyson knows there's a monster that lives inside him and that he can call upon this monster to destroy things. I just remember watching that fight and like Roy Jones comes out. He's, you know, trying to replicate his quickness. and He's dancing around. Yeah. Tyson hits him like right in the gut and you can just look at in his face. He's like, holy shit. Yeah. Like I just stepped in the and ring just with like, actual Mike Tyson. I mean, Tyson's approach was so wild. It was, it, it wasn't about, you know, it wasn't at all like Muhammad Ali where it was, he, he was so just agile and he would, he'd juke and he'd shake and he'd, he'd just wear down and, and knock people out. Tyson was just like, he had one speed. Right, get inside, it, he'll, punish he'll, you he'll with that, right. He'll punch you once and he'll just like break your life. Iron yeah. Mike, I'll never forget when he came out of prison and he fought this guy named Peter McNeil. Yeah. Who yeah. was this like strange, sprangly little white dude and he's dancing around and, you know, he's, he's having the time of his life because he's in the ring with Mike Tyson and the fight starts and he throws this guy up against the ring and he gives him like a, 
classic Tyson uppercut. Gone. And it's like, good night, buddy. Yeah. Good night. He was the scariest man alive for a long oh, period yeah. of time. Oh, yeah. Now, apparently, the toad's changed all that. Amazing. Good for him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, you recall yesterday, uh, we started talking about nominees again. Yes. Um, and in large part because nobody else is talking about these people. But we, we found out from what's happened legislatively is that Democrats can't organize a, a two-car parade, as we've said. So what they've been trying to do is is put into place all of these various far-left psychopaths. You remember Count Chocula from yesterday? Yeah, yes. Count Chocula. So now there's another one. Um, and this one, the hearing is actually today in the Senate Commerce Committee. And I'm just going to quote from, from Breitbart, who had, I think, the only article on this person. I can't believe there's only one article on this, but the only one article. But it caught my eye. The Biden administration has selected a George Soros-linked radical Georgetown law professor, Alvaro Bedoya, as its pick for the FTC commissioner. Bedoya is backed by far-left foundations, we'll talk about that in a second, and is a Russiagate conspiracy theorist who once suggested that Breitbart News was blocking an a counterintelligence operation into Trump's non-existent ties to the Russian government. <laughs> They've nominated this guy to the FTC. So you're like, okay, he's a radical. He's a left-wing psychopath. He thinks that AOC is the future of progressive politics. Like, all that shit's on the record. What is it? How much damage can you do at the FTC? Well, here's the reason, right? One of his tweets, he said, we need to give the FTC more money. Oh, look at that. And more authority to police our tech sector. Whenever you hear about the FTC consent decree against Facebook, remember there was a small group of people that made that happen. This guy, if you, when they're talking about the, the links to left-wing organizations and people who have funded his work, guess what pops up? The Pierre Omidyar. It does. Oh. The, I mean, this is, uh, you know, I always talk about this, I know, but it's very important to bring up this left-wing dark money nexus that is fueling... The Democrat Party. Yeah, we pointed it out. It got the Variety program in a little bit of trouble because we were speaking truth to power on all of this stuff. And, and that's the thing. Pierre Omidyar like, funds this entire network of these dark money groups. And and they have uh, that uh, this that Swiss billionaire overseas, a foreign national, pouring right. pouring dark money into U.S. politics. Because the the thing is, all these left money, uh, left wing dark money operations, it's like cash and carry with the Biden administration. They want their policies enacted. They know they can't get it through Congress because, I mean, this is insane, insane the agenda stuff. that they right. want. So they're like, oh, let's just uh, sponsor these uh, people that we can put in as judges or as FTC, uh, FTC commissioners. That's how they operate. The administrative state. They want to take over the administrative state with these psychopaths who are like this guy, a Russiagate conspiracy theorist. And now his hand's going to be on the lever of what you get to see on the internet. It, think, think about that. Think about that because it's not even in the jurisdiction, right? He's talking about the Federal Trade Commission here. Right. You're like, wait a second, how does that work? Oh, I'll tell you exactly how that works. Right now, the FTC, and this guy is going to be a part of this effort, is trying to use the pressure uh, of a breakup of a, of a, under the, the guise of an anti-competitive effort to break up any organization or social media company that doesn't adhere to their content policies. Right. It's like the fucking mafia. It's like, like the fucking mafia. Like walking into your small business and being like, oh, it would be a shame if something were to happen to it. I mean, that's exactly what's right. happening. Here. Right. Take take all of the conservative content off your platform. 
or something might happen. I don't know. I can't say, yeah, but maybe. Know. It might be. Might something might happen. But so what he asked for in this tweet, which is more money to the FTC to police, quote, police our tech sector, is in Build Back Better bill. On page 671 of the bill is a provision that allocates $500 million to create a new FTC privacy bureau. That that is going to be spent in the next two years. I have a weird I have a weird hunch that it's not going to be focused on privacy. <laughs> Can I be honest with you? <laughs> but anyway, this is this is the guy who would be in charge of that. I feel like when they say privacy, they mean like privacy for like Hunter Biden and stopping the That's dissemination the of information. It's like we've already seen what these people want to do. Right. When the New York Post was blocked from the internet, the paper that Alexander Hamilton started was blocked for discussing Hunter Biden, and here's the guy that wants to make this policy. And they're, and they're responsive. Let's, get, let's, let's lay it all out there. Like Twitter, if they're threatened with this kind of thing, they change their policies. Yeah, they do. They change their policies, right? So this stuff actually matters in a much bigger way than you think. You'd like to think this would all be debated in public and you'd have an exchange of ideas, and if you know public sentiment exists to make changes, you do it. That's not how they work here. Right. Public sentiment for all this shit is in the 30s because the Biden administration is incompetent as all get out. Mm -hmm. So they've tried to do it all administratively below the radar. Anyway, keep your eye on this dude. Again, I'm hoping that the Ted Cruz does what Ted Cruz does to him tomorrow or today in that uh, hearing. Fantastic. So, um, look, we've got we've got a lot of a lot of different stuff to talk about. But but have you guys tried to book any holiday travel a little bit a little bit let me tell you it's expensive (laughs) (laughs) which is shocking right everything's expensive but man it's not only expensive but the flight delays the all of the the various problems that you have traveling add that to the fact that you can't pay for your turkey dinner when you get it yeah this is going to be the worst, in my view, this has got to be the view, worst holiday season we've ever had. Yeah. And then you, you add on to that that Smug refuses to fly Southwest. His <laughs> options are really limited. Well, well here, here we go. So so there, there's uh, some statistics that were released on how each of the various airlines do. Uh, least on-time airlines, Southwest Airlines is on there. <laughs> they had uh, basically 17% of their flights were late or canceled. So there you go. I mean, they ranked number eight, eight though. I mean, Allegiant number one, twenty seven percent canceled. JetBlue twenty three, Frontier twenty one, Envoy nineteen, United eighteen, American eighteen, Spirit seventeen point nine. Southwest not so bad. I mean, here's the thing: is first off, there's, someone put this great image on Twitter where they're like, "This is basically how Southwest boards their flights," and it was a mosh pit. I mean, like, there is. <laughs> There's Southwest is steerage. There is like no order. It's insane chaos. Steerage. But look, like before, I don't think they even have first class, do they? It's like everyone just you sit in the same. <laughs> Listen like, to kind that. Of, He's incredible. outraged about no first class cabin. But th- here's the thing: the reason that I bring this up is everybody likes to blame the airline. Yeah. The fact of the matter is that this administration put into a ton of ton of policies, ton of policies that incentivize people not to work, mm-hmm. and then when they got the back end of that, vaccine mandates for companies like all of these airlines for their pilots and their and their all their staff well yeah i mean that's the thing is like else you get on the airplane and you think oh well the guy on the intercom he's getting me from a you know to b and but that's not 
the reality. The reality is that like to run an airport requires a lot of labor. It requires a lot of people to actually get you there. It's not just the pilot, right? Yeah. Right, right. So look, here's my pitch to you. If you find yourself over the next few weeks stuck in an airport or sitting on a plane, just remember Joe Biden. Yeah, maybe start a Let's Go Brandon just, chant. Just you know? remember See how Joe goes, Biden. Especially if the pilot gets into don't it. Don't do it around security. Yeah, like don't I, do, don't do it around journalists who might try to storm the cockpit. <laughs> but it's a real concern yeah. because it's the it's the policies that these people have put into place that makes all of this tragically difficult for you to get from one place to another. Yeah. There's uh so so there was also a list of the most frequently delayed airports. Number one, New York Liberty. I would never fly Weird. there. Number two, LaGuardia, always a mess. Always a mess. Always you, a mess. If you have to fly out of LaGuardia or have a connection there, let me tell you, do it as early as possible. Because if, if it's in the afternoon, like the delays just snowball. They just keep snowballing. So if you have a late flight out of LaGuardia, it's a compounding effect yeah, over the course of the day. You're probably not going to have, you know, be able to make right. your flight. It's not going to happen. I just like to point out that amongst the least likely airports, Minneapolis St. Paul International. Oh, good for you. Yeah. Just an absolute salt of the earth spot everybody Good takes care of each other work hard make sure to get people through the security is that, line is that midwest work ethic that's exactly right just a <laughs> it is funny airport. right all these airports you see like number one number two newark and, and in new york yeah amazing yeah it's like a bunch of jerks <laughs> 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 all right fellas uh should we get to an interview let's do it all right so this is d duncan i think you'll enjoy i want to welcome to the program an old friend of mine uh, he's now president of the Republican State Leadership Committee. D. Duncan, welcome, pal. Thank you for having me on. Really appreciate uh, having me on the program. Yeah, listen, for those of you who are not familiar with RSLC, let me just read what you got on your website because I feel like you probably say it best, but it's, it's the largest caucus of Republican state leaders in the country and the only national organization whose mission it is to recruit, train, and elect Republicans to multiple down-ballot state-level offices. There it is. There it is. Yeah. So state legislatures, uh, lieutenant governors, secretaries of state, ag commissioners. Uh, you know, that's our, our main focus to get Republicans elected at the state level, kind of be the, the backstop against out of control Washington. Yeah. Well, you're doing a whale of a job at it because we we have been talking up until the, the election the first Tuesday of November all of our successes basically came in your line of work, right? There were the down ticket stuff we saw popping up around the, the country with special elections and the like, and they seem to be going pretty well. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, it, it goes back to last year, uh, you know, Barack Obama, Eric Holder came out and, you know, raised $500 million uh, just to spend on state legislative races. They knew what was at stake with redistricting. So they said their number one priority uh, was to flip everything. Well, they flipped nothing. Uh, you know, even with what happened at the top of the ticket, you know, they, they flipped nothing. We actually gained a net two. We gained, flipped both chambers in New Hampshire. Uh, and then we start this year, you know, they came out and said, you know, the DLCC said, you know, 500 they spent wasn't enough. 21, 22 were kind of the tone, uh, you know, as we go forward. And, uh, you know, they swung and missed. I mean, it's, you know, starting, like you said, in the special elections. Uh, you know, we are, our first flip of the cycle was in Connecticut. You know, that was a seat that, uh, Biden won by 24 points. Uh, and that's a seat, you know, that we won, we flipped. 
then you get into Iowa. You know, they went all in on a uh, in Ankeny. I know you've you've spent oh, yeah. some time in Iowa at the fair. It's kind of weird oh, yeah. seeing you with uh, with sleeves on today. <laughs> uh, but thing. you know, we we were there. I mean, you know, that's a seat that if they're going to find a path back in Iowa and you know in the Midwest and anywhere, frankly. Uh, they've got to flip suburban seats, you know, that, and so they went all in, I think, you know, 600 grand is what they went in and they missed. Um, and then we'll share, forward, we'll share partial credit for the ruthless variety program. We'll give it a little bit, the RSLC there. Absolutely. Y'all, y'all can have that credit. You know, I think they saw, they saw your, they saw the arms, they saw the gun show and they, that's right. They it's just intimidating you know, they as hell, D. It's intimidating as hell. I mean, I don't have to tell you. Um, and so then, you know, we get into, you know, fast forward a month, they've got a seat, uh, a rural seat, a, a member vacates, um, held that seat 42 years, you know, that's a seat. So they've got to flip the, the, the suburban seats and they've got to hold on to their rural seats. They lost. I mean, and that that's two, you know, back to back, you know, they lose those. Uh, and then we, you know, we get to election day and, you know, obviously what happened did. And, you know, it just was a bad night for them overall. I mean, Virginia, New Jersey, I mean, they lost, you know, a net seven seats in New Jersey, six in the assembly, one in the Senate. Um, you know, one of those being the Senate president, you know, Steve Sweeney yeah. uh, finished the campaign with $850,000 in his bank account because he just <laughs> took it for granted. Uh, you know, we do Supreme Court races as well, you know, spend about a million and a half dollars in Pennsylvania, a state that, you know, Biden won. Um, we win that statewide and then go down to Texas, you know, South Texas, uh, you know, a Democrat held seat. Uh, and we win that on Election Day, too. And it's, you know, you add all of those things up they're in for, uh, you know, a world of hurt. You know, I think their biggest takeaway was. They need to be more progressive. You know, the states project came out, you know, the Friday after the election and said, we're going to convene this big group, uh, but we're going to spend 31 more million uh, to elect, you know, state state Democrats as long as they're progressive. And it's like, if that's their takeaway, let's go. Have at it, Haas. We got we got all day for that. (laughs) Well, you're doing something. You're doing something well besides capitalizing on on what has now turned out to be a pretty good environment and it's in the recruitment of candidates i think this doesn't get enough conversation you know we, last week we had uh winsome sears and jason miares on the program and everybody got a chance to hear from them and how great they are but this is happening up and down ticket where you you are recruiting black white hispanic women, men. I mean, you've got the person who fits each one of those districts absolutely pinned. And I think you guys are doing a heck of a job at getting them over the finish line. Well, yeah. You know, it's it's something that we, you know, have been focused on as the RSLC for a couple of cycles. You know, we know that the only way forward for the party is to have, you know, a diverse set of candidates, you know, candidates, you know, from their communities who believe in their communities, who speak like their communities, who understand their communities, because if not, you know, there's no way forward. It's not just, you know, who's the next person up that was the secretary of the you know, county Republican Party. It's got to be a targeted effort. And so we rolled out uh, the Right Leaders Network, which was focused on that, um, you know, had a great, great role out there. And, you know, I, I think, you know, you hit on two of those candidates, you know, Winsome Sears, first, uh, you know, woman of color to be elected statewide in the state of Virginia. Uh, Jason Miara as the first Latino elected statewide in the state of Virginia. And then of our seven flips, four of those seven were either women or minorities. Yeah. Uh, you're not hearing about that. Nobody uh, talks you know, about that. Nobody <laughs> wants to talk about that. They're all talking about how everybody's racist in Virginia now. Yeah. 
Absolutely. Amazing. So, that's a tough, that's a tough square to circle there. Squirrel circle to square. I don't know which one it is, but it's an impossible thing to try to explain. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, and Winsome, you know, is just such a great candidate. She resonated with the voters, you know, won a primary that, you know, most folks didn't think she would. Yeah. Um, and then she comes on and, you know, along with, you know, Glenn and Jason, you know, takes the state by storm and, you know, the first woman of color again, you, that can't be lost, um, you know, and it's just, they have a problem with, you know, with minority communities. I mean, if they're not willing to address, you know, crime, education, the economy, they've got bigger problems. You That's know, right. And, and so, you know, we feel good. You know, we, we did better. I, I know that, you know, Glenn won uh, the Latino vote. You know, we, we did really well there. You know, several of our districts we won, uh, you know, had very uh, high concentration of African-American communities. Um, and that can't be lost. I mean, it's, yeah, I saw that those districts south of Richmond, I think, is the ones you're you're referring to that were, if not plurality African American, it was it was certainly a high high number. Where you know, if you listen to a national media narrative, you wouldn't think Republicans could compete there at all. Right. I mean, it no. just it, it's incredible. Where how much of you of what you all do is focused on the recruitment aspect? I mean, it's huge. You know, we, you know, we have to, you know, as we got into Virginia, we, we put together kind of a three-pronged plan. You, know, you had to find the right candidates. You had to get the candidate that fits the district. Uh, but then we, you know, and, and so, but it can't be a, oh, here they are, let them go. Uh, so, you know, obviously we're involved in the recruitment side, but we're also involved on the training side heavily. You know, we, we host, you know, um, we had a training in Virginia. We're going to do several regional trainings around the country next year. Uh, we also, you know, as part of the Right Leaders Network, you know, we had uh, Senator Tim Scott, Senator Marco Rubio, um, Senator Marsha Blackburn, Young Kim, uh, Congresswoman Ashley Henson, you know, all who were former state legislators. And we're going to pair them, you know, with uh, folks that are running across the country because they were they were in these same shoes, you know, whether it was, you know, two years ago, three years ago, 10 years ago. Um, so we want to help them, you know, make sure that they're getting good guidance from people that have actually done it. Uh, but then, you know, we're going to, you know, also help on the training side because, you know, a lot of these people have never run for office and that's what we need people right. who've never run for office. Uh, but you know, then the nuances of, you know, digital fundraising, you know, the day-to-day -day grind of how to do these things, uh, they have no clue. And so we're going to be there for them, uh, to help train them, uh, and get them across the finish line. Well, it's really important work because rarely do you have a, a Glenn Youngkin situation where somebody shows up for the first time and, and manages to win a statewide race. Most people, as you suggested, kind of work their way up the rung. And without the kind of proper training, you know, you can be in a big, even if you win, you can adopt all kinds of bad habits that make you unelectable at a higher level. And you guys are, seems to me, doing a great job at making sure that people have the resources they need to, to learn along the way. Absolutely. We are, uh, you know, it's something we're committed to. It's not just something we're going to talk about uh, because if we don't, you know, we're in trouble as a party. And so, you know, we believe that starts at the state and local level uh, and we're going to do that and, and help everywhere we can. You know, I, I will say, you know, we lost uh, a, a significant amount of our candidates uh, to the House. You know, the NRCC does a great job <laughs> yeah. uh, of recruiting our, uh, our great state legislators a way to run for Congress. But hey, if that's what it takes to get good common sense leaders uh, in Washington, we're all, we're all on board. Cause we know that it'll be next person up. Yeah. It's funny. The poaching that goes, that goes into all this, right. You get, yeah, I, you get a couple of stars pretty soon. The NRCC, NRCC comes calling. 
I mean, I, I can't remember what it was. It was like 12 of the of the wins they had, you know, were former state legislators last year. I mean, it was, you know, <laughs> Ashley Hanson, Young Kim, Nancy Mace. Um, I'm trying to remember. There yeah. was, I mean, there was, I think it was 10 or 11. <laughs> well, good news. I mean, if you can take anything out of that, just know that the senatorial committee is looking through their Rolodex. It's pretty hard too. <laughs> Absolutely. Heck, they, now they got to find somebody in Vermont. That's right. That's right. Open season everywhere. There's there's shots everywhere. But, you know, look, I think, as you said, the foundation of the party starts at the grassroots and local level. And that's where you guys reside. And finding those quality candidates and training them up is an absolutely essential part of the process. Let, let, how, how do people help if, they, if this sounds like it resonates to them? How do they help your cause? You know, they can go on our website rslc.gop get plugged in you know they can fill out the information uh also you know they can you know get connected with me anyone on our team we have a whole team that's dedicated to the recruitment and training side uh camille prince who's our political director uh was also our director of recruitment and training last cycle you know this is something that she's done a long time uh edith jorge tunyan our deputy ed also you know in that space for a long time you know just have them reach out to me uh, you know, go to our website, get plugged in and, and we'll, we'll get you, uh, going in the right direction. Well, it's great D. And for those who don't know you, I think I worked, oh gosh, it must've been almost 10 years ago where I was in and around the senatorial committee with you. Yeah, it was, uh, you came in, you know, I was at the, the NRSC for a year before I moved back to Texas to work on the governor's race. And right. you had come in like right there at the, you know, right there at the end, you know, I'm like, I can't remember how 23, 24, uh, no clue what's going on. And here comes this guy, you know, Senator, Senator McConnell's chief, like this guy, I don't know who he is. And we shared a wall and there was those new walls. And so they were very thin. <laughs> so I just remember Uh-oh. thinking, I was like, ah, this is somebody I do not want to make mad. Walking around with that baseball bat, just whacking everything with it. I'm like, I need to avoid this guy or be on his good side. One of the two. Those were different times, D. <laughs> They're different times. They were very stressful times. <laughs> Got it done. Well, you made an impression on me because I've admired your work ever since. And I know you've had a lot of stops on the way, but I think RSLC and everybody who supports it is, is extremely lucky to have you man in the helm over there. Thank you very much. We got a, we got a great team. Uh, they're doing a lot of good work. And so I'm excited to see what's in store for, uh, for 2022. You know, we obviously won round one to this fight, uh, but we got a, you know, a big fight ahead. So excited about, about next year. No, it's great. It's great. We're going to be following. You got to keep us updated on all of yeah. Uh, I got three big questions that we ask okay. everybody and I'm going to lay these on you, D. Uh, you, you, I know you've listened, so you know, what's coming first, your, your last meal on earth. What is it? So I'm a foodie. So this was one that was oh, very hard good. for me. Uh, you know, but I'm going a wedge salad, you know, just like a strong standard wedge salad. Yep. Uh, but then also some pork belly burnt ends oh, with, yeah. uh, with Whataburger French fries, you know, got to have a little bit of, got to get my Texas in there, but yeah, pork belly burn ins, meat candy, as I like to call them. Yeah. Uh, entree I'm going, uh, there's a restaurant in Fort Worth, uh, Texas called the Riata steak and enchiladas, skirt steak, cheese over cheese enchiladas, uh, oh. rice and beans. And then, uh, keep it simple on dessert, uh, Chick-fil-A peach milkshake, chocolate chip cookies. Oh man. That is a strong order D that yeah. is you've given that thought. I, I have. I, I had to pare it down. You know, my, my wife said, you know, no way are you going in there with all those things. Uh, but, you know, I, I don't do anything, you know, halfway. So got to got to be stronger. 
Yeah, no, there's no question. That's not a halfway dinner. I love that. <laughs> All right. So you've dedicated your career to conservatives and Republican politics and, and, and trying to get people elected. If this was never a part of your destiny and you were wide open, blue sky, you could do anything with your life, what would it be? You know, I have to say it's one of two things. I'd either be a high school football coach uh, or uh, trying to be a PGA Tour professional. You know, I, I do my best at that regardless. You know, this, this work thing and, you know, having having two kids, four and two, kind of gets in the way of that. I have um, I have the same issue exactly as you, and that does get in the way. The weekend golf is pretty much out of the question. So I got to ask one question, you know, kind of bring up golf. Uh couple weeks ago i'm at five iron golf uh friday afternoon i'm walking out and i had to take a phone call and i see i see you and and the guys over there so i I, I couldn't come over were you i need you to confirm or deny were you wearing golf shoes in the simulator (laughs) oh my god they're totally busted all right so here's what happened here's what happened we we had a meeting fall off the books at about three o'clock and we're like, man, we got to just let's just go swing some clubs. And I'm like, but I'm in a suit. Right. So what am I going to do? And I'm wearing wingtips and I and I, so I, I stand there in the in the wingtips and I take a swing and I almost fall on my ass. Right. So I'm like, <laughs> only thing I've got in my car is golf shoes. I got I just got to put these on. <laughs> That makes me feel better that it was a, you had to do it and not something that I was going to say that is a, that's a hardo move of epic proportions. It's a bad move. It's one that I would <laughs> typically look down upon, but it came with great necessity. So it was the same. Uh, okay. Well, there you, you, you get the pass there. You know, I was going to say, if you did that, then probably wearing golf shoes to a golf tournament, you know, complete <laughs> psychopath moves. <laughs> I love that the suit pants didn't bother you. No, because you, you're coming from the office. you got hard work to do. <laughs> All, right. All right. All right. Fair enough. Final question. I didn't expect my balls to get busted on this, D. This is, I'm, I'm going to follow you into five iron and start critiquing the performance. <laughs> Let's do it. All right. So final question. What motivates you more, thrill of victory or the agony of defeat? Agony of defeat, for sure. You, you, you are know, definitely is- an agony of defeat guy. I, I love to win, you know, but it's, you know, the thought of losing, you know, this was kind of going into Virginia. The whole deal was to win one seat. You know, we've lost seats, you know, 22 seats since uh, 2015. So anything one net positive one seat was a win. And, you know, we get to, you know, the end of the night uh, and we're sitting at five. We've taken their, you know, control, uh, but I just don't know what the path is forward on, you know, getting the actual majority, uh, even though five was such a win, uh, just not getting the majority was just, you know, that was a feeling I hated, Uh, but we ended up getting it done. You know, they, the Democrats have, have uh, won't concede the two races that are in recount, but we're going to win those. We've got the majority. Um, But yeah, definitely agony of defeat is more motivating. I love it. I love it. Listen, one of the brightest stars in our party, you guys doing incredible work down ballot and in state races, RSLC president D Duncan. Thanks for, for coming and chatting with us and keep us updated. Yes, sir. Thank you. All right. Take care. Talk soon. One thing I didn't anticipate in that interview is that he would call me out for wearing golf cleats in five iron. Incredible. It's incredible. He spied on us as we were golfing. I tried to explain that I had to change out of wingtips. He still gave me a hard time. 
Listen, I'm glad I'm glad that he's better at recruiting candidates and funding candidates than landing a hard blow on on me. <laughs> I'm ready to declare him the second best Duncan on the variety program. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Quite an honor. Yeah. I love it. And it's another banger of an episode, gentlemen. Uh, and, and and for our listeners, thank you so much for your support. Our numbers keep going up, which is why we're giving you three episodes this week. So until next time, minions, keep the faith, hold the line. And own the lids. We'll see you on Thursday. Stay ruthless.